0: Amen. And Michael, the prayer you pray every week has semi-been answered this morning because I had 21 verses planned this morning, but I'm not going to get to all 21 of them. So I'll get to three. How's that sound? Three verses. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me to Luke 12, verses 1 through 3. If you don't have your Bible with you, it'll be on the screen next to you, also in your bulletin. Uh, as you're flipping there, I want to remind you a couple of little quick housekeeping things. We're going to do Sunday night worship for like the first time in like a year and a half. And we're going to kind of ease into the water with the hot dog fellowship tonight. Uh, I was told by the, the kitchen crew, who's going to be getting everything ready later, uh, that the shade under the tree out here does not produce much shade as we thought at that time. So they want to move it over here to where the building provides the shade that we need. So we're going to just bring your chair We're going to have hot dogs, have fellowship, use common sense. Like, don't stand right here when you talk to people, right? Like, give people enough room to breathe and all that. And uh, we'll uh, have a, I'll do like a devotion. We'll have some singing, some worship, and uh, we'll have fellowship. So it'll be good. So that'll be at six o'clock. So bring your own chair, right? I remember that. Be right back here. Here ish. Okay. Also. Uh, we've been asked to provide a meal for the United Football Team. It also provides me an opportunity to speak to them, me and Danny to speak to them. It's going to be on the 23rd, I think. Right, Danny? And then that is also, the next day starts Cover Bridge Days. We have a booth for Cover Bridge Days, and we are taking sign-ups to one-hour increments for two days. So That went out this week. Did everybody get, Raise your hand if you've got that email to sign up for the cover Bridge. Raise your hand. Let me tell you what's going to be in there real quick. We're giving away free water bottles. It's not like this kind of a water bottle that's full of air, but like one that has a church logo on it that you can put on a bicycle and refill and use. Somebody actually thought that's what I was talking about this morning, just to be clear. We're going to give away pens. We will have a table with a church logo on it. We'll take prayer requests through text, have a thing to hand out for them about Trunk or Treat that's coming up, and we'll have a trifold about the church, uh, and then they'll have a prayer wall. So we really want to want you to engage with the folks here in Carter County as we reach out. Uh, that you know on the on the level of prayer because most people in Carter County believe in at least three things even if they don't believe in Jesus and that is Mama's love apple pie and prayer right they believe in those three things so you can at least gauge them on one of those three things when they come to your tent you can talk about one of those three things more than likely and if you make it on prayer it's an easy jump over to the gospel if the time permits that so sign up for that be here tonight that's all the housekeeping items for now let's turn our attention to Luke chapter twelve. Beginning in verse one, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we were in Luke. Danny preached to me last week. Appreciate that sermon from the crisp, clean pages of the Old Testament. There, from uh, you didn't know I was watching, but I was watching. So, <laughs> so I was, uh, I was making notes. You know what I mean. So he did well, and uh, we have come out of a very awkward dinner discourse in chapter eleven. Remember that, where you know. Jesus comes into the Pharisee's house after curing the man who was mute. And he didn't wash his hands. He did not keep the Pharisaical man-made law of hand-washing. And be it a glance, be it a thought in the heart, we're not sure what it was, but there is this exchange between Jesus and this Pharisee. And it is, you know, Jesus lays into the guy. I mean, he says, woe to you Pharisees, for you clean the outside of the cup and leave the inside Gross and disgusting, that's the TTV, Travis Tyler version, but... He he lays into him, and it is a very awkward conversation. It's the kind of dinner party where you just put your head down and push the peas around in the mashed potatoes for a while, and hope you don't make eye contact with anyone in the room because most of us don't like conflict. We most of us run to it, except for me and Zach. We like we like conflict. We just get in there and mix it up, right? Jesus just jumps in, and he he just causes this conflict, and and then the the scribes get a little nervous. The, the law, you're not talking about us. I mean, we we're okay with you nailing the Pharisees on this, but not. And then, woe to you, scribes. And he lays into them and gives them curses and all that. Well, here we are, chapter 11. Okay? You know, people, word has gotten out. People know he's gone to this Pharisee's house. Hey, you heard about this Jesus Nathers? Yeah, I've heard about it. I've been following and teaching for some time. Uh, would you like to go here? I know where he's at. I know where he's been staying. I know he had dinner at this Pharisee's house. I'm going to go. Me and the guys are going. You should come with us and check him out. Sounds good. Don't have anything else going on. And so this massive crowd forms around this public ministry setting forms around him here as he's leaving this awkward dinner party, but it's still kind of trailer hitch to chapter 11. Like you would think when he comes out from this dinner, he's going to be, you know, focused on the crowd that's around him. But I want you to pay close attention to who Jesus is addressing in the midst of these people. So let's look at this together. Luke chapter 12, verses one through three. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, Whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. May God have blessing to the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. And I pray he writes all this truth on all of our hearts this morning. Okay? All right. Um, This leaven of the Pharisees that Jesus is talking about is a particular problem in the Bible Belt. It's a particular problem in the Bible Belt. It's really a problem for all who seek to be faithful to the one true and living God, but it is a problem for sure here in the Bible Belt. And I wanted to uh, take a minute here and, and I hope you realize... This is not just a removed story from thousands of years ago about Jesus exchanging an interaction with with these people. These principles and this problem is a problem in our culture and in our church. Okay? This is the 20-year anniversary of September 11th. Some of you in this room may not have been alive when that happened. I know at least three of you that live with me were not alive when that happened. Uh, I wasn't looking at you guys. I know you were alive there. They got all, they got a little feathers got a little up there. I know you, I know you guys were there. All right. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. All right. Uh, You know, some people say we shouldn't tell children these horrible, you know, terrible childhood tales from years ago about like Hansel and Gretel and all those things because they're scary and we need positive role models for kids. But You know, kids need to hear that horrible things happen too, right? Don't they? They need to be aware of it because it helps them make sense of the world. And if we only tell our kids good positive things all the time and show them good positive things all the time and they don't see the chaos that's in the world at times, they may begin to question whether or not we tell them the truth because eventually they're going to see chaos and evil in the world, aren't they? And so remembering things like September 11th, you know, it's only, it becomes very real to us when we think about what it must have been like on those flights when the jihadists stood up and began screaming their prayers as they attacked the cockpit. Or as people were gathering on the stairwells filled with smoke, trying to find an exit for their life. Or as we vision people jumping, which those of us who watched it happen live remember, People choosing to jump to their death over being pancaked in the, in the World Trade Towers. And so when we look at a text like this, there's a horror here that we really need to see in this text. Just like we need to remember, never forget what happened, we need to never forget what happens here in the leaven of the Pharisees. So let's, let's look at this. First of all, one thing I want to point out. Meanwhile, so many thousands of people are gathered... Who is Jesus focused on in the thousands of people? Is he focused on the crowd? No, he's not. What does it say, church? It says he turned to the who. He's focused on the disciples. He's focused on this smaller group of people. Why? Why is Jesus focused on the disciples here? He's got thousands of people around him. And he is focused on addressing who? He's focused on addressing these 12 these twelve that had been to this dinner, really, really super awkward dinner party, and are now with him in this public ministry, and no doubt reeling from what happened in the dinner party at the Pharisee's house, and not sure what to make of it, and, and here he stands and he looks directly at them. Why did he choose them, right? Why would he? Why would he focus and center on them? There's multiple reasons. One, who will these men go on to become? Who are they? What is their future? They're pastors for the church. They're going to write much of the New Testament. They will go on and be missionaries and carry the gospel out. And one thing he wants them to see is that what is happening with them internally, he, he does not want this leaven, this religious pharisaicalism to infect them and they spread this to the church that needs to be born. Because the leaven of pharisaicalism, listen to me, The leaven of Pharisaicalism infects and destroys churches and people's lives. It 100% does. All right. Let's look at this. What does Jesus say? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is, what's it say, church? Hypocrisy. How many of them in here are bakers? You bake. I think Richard bakes up there. You bake. Yeah, Richard's got his hand up in the back. Two or three of you. Once you introduce leaven, right? You put some yeast in there to get the leaven going. Once that process starts, when does it stop? Is it fair to say it really doesn't stop until you bake it, right? Like it, right, Kayla? It perpetually expands with pressure, relentlessly getting larger, right? Kind of getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, I found this out. I'm not really a baker nor a candlestick maker, (laughs) but I'm not really a baker. And I'm more of a like, I want to grill meat and ribs and do manly things with grills and smoke. Like that's my thing is meats and you know things like that so baker is not really my thing i'm more of a cook right so i'm just like let's just throw a handful of this in here and a handful of that you know bakers are very precise in measurements and that's not really me as much but i've ventured into it lately with different pizza because i'm a i'm a lover of pizza i know you can't tell from looking at me but i love pizza and i started making some homemade pizzas because it's it tastes better really it tastes a lot better and i made a pizza for a friend of mine who lives in fall branch dear friend and i noticed you know i made the the pizza dough up. Fall Branch is 45 minutes away. We're going to make the pizzas fresh when we got there. And I noticed when we got to his house, there was a significant amount more of pizza dough that I had, than I had originally put on the platter. It had, it had gotten bigger on the drive from Fall Branch at room temperature to, from Elizabeth to Fall Branch. And it turned out it was still good. I mean, there's just a little bit more of it. But my point being this, what do we learn about this? Well, a couple things. One, uh, man, if not addressed, it relentlessly expands. It relentlessly expands, right? So what happens when, and Jesus says what what this is, what this relentless expansion is, he calls it hypocrisy. Right, and what what would what would we do to define that? Like, how would we how would we say this is what hypocrisy is? Right. Well, of course, we know it means to act or say and be one way, and then to actually be a completely different way. Uh, one pastor said it this way this week, as I was studying and thinking about this. He said it is the an attempt to try to live. What you perceive to be the best of two worlds, right? But as you and I well know, it is very difficult. This is an old-timey saying. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but years ago, old-timers would say it's hard to ride two horses across a stream. Right? You got to pick a horse and stay on it. Right? In hypocrisy, you're trying to ride two horses. You're trying to enjoy all of the sin that you love enjoying. And also trying to appear to an audience of onlookers that are religious that you are worshiping the one true and living God and that's the thing you truly desire. And so there's a, there's a discrepancy there. You're trying to sort of enjoy the, the best of two worlds here. And so hypocrisy is what's on Jesus' mind here. He, he had seen it already in this house that he had been a part of. And here he is, uh, ta- you know, he had, he had brought this point out before his colleagues and the lawyers and the disciples. And he is, he is beating this drum here now and highlighting this problem that crouches at the door and will consume them and destroy the work that God is doing. Jesus here is deeply concerned that his own disciples are not infected with the spirit of hypocrisy. They're going to do things. Uh, in the future that would be a totally devastating if they're infected with this. And so here he deals with three things in these three verses, three things. First of all, he deals with the fruit of hypocrisy. Second of all, we hear in these three verses the future of hypocrisy. And third of all, we see the failure of hypocrisy. So these three things that we see in the text this morning. Let's see if we can do this. First of all, The fruit of hypocrisy is that it spreads. It spreads. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. The whole point of this is this fermentation of this dough, as I explained a minute ago, being incorporated into the batch. It expands and leavens the whole loaf. He's saying here, don't be infected by the religiosity of the Pharisees of the day. Don't carry this hypocrisy over into the new covenant. We don't want it in there. And he went on to say in verse 2, putting their eyes to the future of hypocrisy, right? He points out to them the judgment that is coming. Look at verse 2. Nothing is covered up, right? Uh, And this is really what hypocrisy seeks to do, right? Hypocrisy seeks to cover up without dealing with something. Right, it is. It is an attempt at paper macheing over what is truly disgusting and truly bad. Right, uh, I don't know. I'm not recommending the show or whatever. But I remember there was this show we watched years ago called Friends. It was, it was a real popular show in the '90s. Uh, anyway. There was one person there that was like a big clean freak. She liked everything to be... I think her name was Monica. Is that right, Beck? I think her name was Monica. But anyway, Monica would always just shove massive amounts of things in closets. And so, you know, it would the outside of the appearance... Like if you walked into the house, oh, looks everything looks nice, neat up, clean. But if you opened up one of the closets, stuff would just come flying out, right? It just it had an outward appearance, but inwardly not organized... Not what was true and being displayed and to cover up what was truly inside. And here Jesus is saying in the heart, right? Covering up what's in the heart. Let me tell you what the future of his hypocrisy is. Jesus makes it clear. This is what the Pharisees are going to be dealing with. And this is what, quite frankly, you and I will be dealing with. Jesus is saying here, what in this verse? Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What if I somehow was able to get a hold of your glasses or your shoes or your shirt or something and I was able to put a video camera with audio and it followed you around everywhere this past week. And when everybody came into church today, I uploaded it on these screens behind me and the whole church could see everything you've said and done the whole week to everybody you've interacted with. Would that bother you? Or would you be like, eh, no big deal, Right? <laughs> Does that make you uncomfortable, right? Well, in a similar fashion here Jesus is saying what? There's nothing you can do that can just be paper macheed over and people are not going to find out about. Instead, you need to what? Live in the truth of the light of the coming judgment. Therefore see in verse 3, here's the failure of hypocrisy. It tells you down where uh, when you get it, where you get it the most, it fails to deliver What people who practice are trying to get out of. And the people that are trying to practice hypocrisy are trying to get out of what? They're trying to get out of being judged by other people. That's really what's driving them. It fails to achieve the end that they're so trying to do. Uh, Here's how hypocrisy operates. This is the basic principle of it. I can cover up what's worst about me and minimize to myself what is worst about me, but put on a good external to fool those that are around me and then they can get by without and then you can get by without anybody really knowing what you're truly like. And Jesus says here at the end everything is going to be revealed and open and this strategy while may work temporarily is not going to work in the long run. So let's let's think about this a bit. Why was Jesus so concerned about this? Well, you know, i got to tell you something. Of all, When I was in seminary, my preaching professor would often say, he told me he thought I was good at illustrations. And some of you have been able to come and tell me my illustrations from my sermons, and I appreciate that. But he also went on to say that the difference between good preachers and great trans- preachers is really how they handle transitions in sermons. So I don't know if it was really a compliment or what it was, but anyhow... This sermon has been the hardest for me to illustrate, okay? And I'm going to try to tell you why this is so hard for me to illustrate. The Pharisaicalism that is being talked about here, the judging of others, because uh, there's a book that I would recommend to you, Accidental Pharisee. It's a very helpful book about this topic. And he goes on to say that we always end up judging others, as pharisees and putting ourselves on top right so any any illustration that i came up with it was hard for two reasons one there are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of illustrations of hypocrisy in church history i mean they're like one after another there's piles of them so i i don't even have enough time to give you all the illustrations of hypocrisy i'm going to use one today but then the other problem is this i want you to think about what i just said the hypocrite tries to cover up their own and minimize their own sin. And then they love to judge other people. Remember when I just said that? What illustration can I give you about hypocrisy where when I get done with the illustration, you don't turn in your own heart and say, man, that was really bad. At least I'm not that bad. Which makes you sound exactly like a Pharisee, right? So what illustration is there that I can give you that is going to help illustrate these points this morning? You know, that that was the challenge with this today. Uh, So I'm just going to give you the truth like it is. And there will be one that's going to fall in here. But I'm going to give you some things. I'm going to give you an antidote here at the end. So notice here the word 11 again. Concerned with a type of hypocrisy here. A particular flavor that comes from the Pharisees. He doesn't want infiltrated into the leaders of his day. The last word in the course, hypocrisy, deals with the problem of sin. Always, always, always by downplaying it. How does Jesus deal with our sin? Does Jesus say, Oh, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal that you sinned. It's not that big of a deal that you broke the Ten Commandments. No, it was your sin that did what? Sent him to the cross and cost him his life. So we shouldn't downplay sin. We should instead run to Christ. Uh, The disciples must get this. We must get this. We must understand we can't paper mache over our sins. We can't clean the outside of the cup and leave the outside disgusting and filthy. You know, really the issue here in hypocrisy is that there is, it's a worship problem. Now listen to me. It's an absolute worship problem. We are worshiping some desire that is some desire that is greater than, in our inner hearts, in the inner chamber of our being, when the door is shut, nobody's around, you know what I'm talking about. You can come in here on Sunday morning in Common Ground and fool all of us, but when you are alone with the living God of the universe, what is it that your heart desire goes towards? That thing that you worship, that you desire, that is taking the place of God. On the inside, we want to continue worshiping that desire But on the outside, we want other people to think we're worshiping the same God that they're worshiping. This is hypocrisy explained as clearly as I can. This is the heart of what Jesus is talking about. Hypocrisy is not a solution to the problem of sin. Hypocrisy delays failure. It delays it. And it just delays judgment. That's all it does. That's all it does. You may get by for a long time. But there is no plan B when when Christ shows up and accounts are made and settled. We see this clear because there's the future of hypocrisy. He emphasizes here in 2 and 3. Here's the second thing that he says. Look what he says. Nothing is covered up. That will not be revealed that it's hidden. You can cover it up for a while. But it won't last. Eventually everything is going to be revealed. That's why cover up strategy. That's why paper mache. The paper mache falls off. You've got to just take care of it now. With grace and love. And the call of Christ this morning. The effectual call to come and to know Him. And then the third thing here. The final failure of hypocrisy. Leads him to the conclusion for the disciples. You look at verse 3. He says it here. Whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the housetop. Mm. He's saying here, if you adopt the strategy of dealing with sin, it will fail you in the end. It will absolutely fail you in the end. Hypocrites will utter A strategy of failure because you will see it. It'll seem to be. It'll seem to be right to you. It'll seem clever to you, but it ultimately fails. Jesus said what? Uh, He said that uh, that uh, this leaven, all that they're trying to cover up in verse three, what is in the dark shall be heard in the light. It'll be proclaimed on the housetops. What you whisper privately. It's it's a call here for what? Integrity. So that what you say and what you are when nobody else is around is the same as what you say and what you are when everybody else is around. That you are the same person consistently. That you are undivided. That you are not double-minded. That you are solely seeking after Christ. Now, something that needs to be brought up here is what do you do? What do you do in this text if you realize I'm a hypocrite? I am a Pharisee. I didn't mean for it to be this way, but I'm there. I've gotten to a point. Well, years ago, about 150 years ago, there was a very faithful Scottish Presbyterian minister, Thomas Chalmers, preached a sermon, and he called it this. And this is the antidote here for Pharisaicalism. The expulsive power... ...of a new affection. Remember what I said earlier? Hypocrisy is rooted in what? It's a worship problem. You're worshiping some desire, something that is greater than your worship and your desire for Christ. Here's the reality of it. You cannot get a desire, get rid of a desire... ...simply by warning against the consequence of pursuing that desire. Some people think, if I just warn people hard enough... ...or if I warn myself hard enough then I'll kind of get the sin and the desire to stop. That's not how sin nature works. Listen, I knew of a president of a very Bible-faithful school. He, he, I don't know what program this was, but he loaded some program on every person that worked there's device. And when they were online, he told them, he said, anytime you visit a website that is graphic in content or illegal, we will be notified and we will know which system it came from and you will be held accountable for that. And you know how long it took before somebody got caught? Six months, six months in, a vice president of that school was caught for going to a pedophilia website, okay, and was removed. Now, he went to that website knowing he would be caught. He knew it. And he went there anyway. So strong boundaries and the possibility of being caught is not enough to stop hypocrisy. It's not enough. There's not enough guilt and shame in it. What, what is it that must be there? You cannot root that desire, that, that illegitimate, that immoral desire out of your soul simply by warning against the consequences of it. And knowing that those are there, that they're ungodly and that they're immoral and perhaps even illegal. The only thing that can tamp that down, that can beat that desire, is a greater, purer desire still. Do you understand what I'm telling you? There must be a new desire that is greater and better than the wrong desire. And it is what we call, it's what that pastor called, the great desire. Uh, expulsive power, right, to get rid of, to expel, expulsive power of the new affection. The new affection, the new desire comes in, and it does what? It expels the draw, the hook, the control, the domination of the old desire, not by saying to the old desire, stop it, but by giving you a greater right and good desire, right? It's kind of like when you're upset and your spouse says, oh, just calm down. Does that ever work, Right? No, it usually just makes you more angry, right? It's just like, oh, uh, stop craving that. No, you need a greater desire still. And what we want to see here is Jesus. This is where Jesus in the gospel comes in. There is no idolatrous desire in your life that cannot be controlled and expelled simply by saying that can be controlled and expelled simply by saying, stop it. But instead, Jesus and His gospel are big enough that that desire can expel the hypocrisy out of your life. And the call here is that you would come to Christ with that and you would seek Him and Him alone in helping you with that. That there would be a greater desire still for Him. You know, in closing here, I I hope that we have seen here We're not afraid to own our sin. One of the marks here, I think, of being able to have this new desire for Jesus that's being talked about is to be able to just radically repent and be broken before Jesus, right? To a point where you can own up to the fact that your sin is not just bad, right? You're not just downplaying your sin, but that your sin is far worse than you'd ever admitted before. (laughs) And that you own up to it. So much so that when you own up to that fact, it's more pervasive than what you ever would want to admit. Your sin is that bad. You're you're admitting that. You know, because here's the reality of it. Jesus already knows how bad your sin is, doesn't he? Own up to the fact that it's absolutely indefensible before God when you stand before him in the judgment that Jesus alludes to in these three verses. And then realize this. Your Savior knows that... He knows all of that about you. Your Savior knows that better than you do. Your Savior knows you better than you do. And your Savior knows your sin better than you know your own sin. And he could could make it so much worse for you because of your sin. But even in the midst of all this, he said, Father, I want to bear that sin I want to bear that sin and I want to bear that sin so that they may know you and they may have new affection and new love and new life. He, he's looking you in the eye and saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, trying to put up good fronts and paper mache in your life, washing the outside of the cup, trying to keep up a good reputation. Come to me and I'll give you rest from this rat race. I, you wouldn't believe the amount of people who tell me as a pastor, I just don't know if I go to church today. You know, what do people know about my sin? They're going to be looking at me. First, first of all, let me just say this. That's kind of being concerned with yourself and that selfishness and that's a selfish approach and a selfish excuse to get out of church. Second of all, and this is not, this is not good, but it's true. Most people that are sitting around in church are so consumed with their own problems that they're not looking across the chair at what your problems are most of the time. <laughs> I'm just being honest. But both of those are wrong because when we enter here, what should, be, what should we be consumed with? We should be consumed with that new desire that expels both of those because they're both the wrong attitude, aren't they? And we should instead be what? Focused on who Christ is, what he has given us, and what He has called us to do. So that when somebody comes up to us and says, Hey, aren't you that person that did X, Y, and Z? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Pull up a chair. You don't know the half of it. Let me tell you how bad I really am. And now let me tell you about the Savior that I serve and how He really forgave me. We shouldn't be afraid to admit when we've sinned and when we're wrong. We don't paper mache stuff. We put it on the cross and Christ deals with it. What about you this morning? Are you that person? Are you paper mache? Are you washing the outside of the cup? Won't you come to Christ now? Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, we thank you for how your word hits us right between the eyes and goes straight to our heart. And today, we don't want to play games. Too much is at stake today. So we ask right now that you would convict us of the places in the depths of our hearts and the deepest desires of our inner being, those places no one in this room knows about, things that we have worked so desperately hard to make sure that no one knows, but we know you know, God. We pray that you would show us what we're worshiping, something, someone more than you, and then that you would replace that desire with, with such a burning affection for who you are, with such a great love for you in Christ, realizing that while we're yet sinners in your love, you sent your son Christ to die for the ungodly, and that the old affections, those rotten, rooted affections, those those affections, infectious desires those sinful dispositions that horrible habit those pervasive attitudes would be crucified would be put to death would be mortified killed expelled from our hearts that its power would be broken and that its pull would be reduced and then eliminated in our lives and that we would love you and only you God we want to be able to sing Jesus, the very thought of Thee. And mean it. Do this, O Lord. We need Your Spirit. We need Your Holy Spirit. We know our strongest endeavor. Our most vigorous application of our will to sustain us is utterly powerless before our own sin. But Your Holy Spirit is powerful and cannot be stopped by any. So come, Holy Spirit. Quicken us. Bring us to life. We ask this In the name above all names, the only name which will save Jesus Christ. Amen.